Hey listeners, I'm Haley White. I'm Brooke Aiello. And this is the second episode ever in the history of the world of dead folks. Okay, so technically it's the third, so I don't I really feel know. like this joke is going to get very old with people. It's not a joke. It's <laughs> I don't understand what is so funny about wanting things to be accurate. I'm Haley White. I'm Brooke Aiello. And this is the second episode that we pushed the record button and the SD card worked and we were able to edit into a complete episode of Dead Folks. Very accurate. have a loose topic for today and it is going to be discussing dealing with grief when the relationship with your loved one was we're gonna say complicated and how sometimes that colors grief in surprising ways and I think that this is a topic that Haley and I are both pretty like our lives have equipped us to deal with, with this topic pretty thoroughly Yes. So why don't you go first? Well, before we start anything, what I really want to say is last time I had talked about a book and I couldn't remember the name of the book. And it was when we were discussing how common it is for people to blow their lives up after someone dies, particularly women um, who have lost their mothers. And I couldn't remember the book. And I just wanted to say I found it at my house. It is called Motherless Daughters, The Legacy of Loss. It's by Hope Edelman. And she has written a bunch of other books too. Her work is great. And um, she really has like a, it's her story. And then she blends in other people's stories that she's interviewed and lots of statistics and stuff like that. But also with just like a a really sensitive voice at the Mm. same time. So it's, it's a good read. And if you have, if you are especially a daughter who has lost a mother, I, this book in particular, uh, motherless daughters I highly recommend it's a New York Times bestseller so but complicated relationships let's talk about that I so, thought you were going to start yeah okay so um for me I think the biggest thing is acknowledging that sometimes and I think this can be true for relationships that aren't complicated is that sometimes there are feelings of grief and mourning that don't feel like you should be having them Mm. when we talked a little last time about like relief being one of them and maybe some release type happiness when you have that kind of complicated relationship with someone who you feel like is perhaps holding you back in some ways Mm. or or keeping you from being like a full authentic version of who you really are again not a health professional we'll say that every episode I am also not a health professional but I did do some research. So when we said we were going to do this topic, I went online and I just looked at what actual health professionals say about the topic. And this is a main difference between Haley and I because I had forgotten we had agreed to this topic. So this is why both of us are good on here. Yeah, different experiences. But what they all say is, again, grief is unique for everybody, but they say it is helpful to A, name those feelings and acknowledge they're there, then acknowledge that it is a natural part of the death and dying process and the loss process and that you're not crazy and you're not the only one in the world who is feeling that sort of thing. And I had said something last time about it sucks when that particular type of relationship dies because along with it dies the chance of ever 
reconciling or mm. making it better or fixing it. But that's not entirely true. You can continue to do your own healing and your own growing and your own evolution once they're gone. Um, and it can be wrapped up in your grief healing as well. So, yeah, I, I love that. I think that in so many ways, just the power of naming it is really, I almost said profound. <laughs> We noticed last time um, that Brooke's word is profound and my word is, you know, <laughs> and I know mine is because I'm so desperate for people to like me and agree with me. I'm just like, you think I'm smart, right? You think I'm, I'm right, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's profound. <laughs> mine is desperately trying to find meaning in an essentially meaningless existence. I'm desperately looking for profundity. At any rate, I love that idea, though, and I think that's why so much art is like, and those hero stories that we know in ki as kids, mm -hmm. I think that's why so many of them have that arc that kind of work towards naming. And you know what I'm thinking right now, because we are of the same generation. Mm -hmm. Never-ending story. Mm. Oh, Bastion, say my name. <laughs> Anyways, but uh, because naming a thing automatically puts some walls on it, puts some definition yeah. into it. It's literally, it's AA. Yeah. Oh, is it? Well, it's the I'm whole thing. Like AA. you have, like admitting you have a problem uh, is like the first step to solving a problem. And also I want to say that like sometimes calling these relationships complicated relationships is a little bit of a misnomer because there is not a child parent relationship that is not complicated in some way. I think you can take that further and even good, you know, your your spouse, your sister, your cousin, whatever. There's oh, yeah. always layers of things. And so we had talked about relief and that sort of thing. But I even think in good relationships, things like guilt mm -hmm. and shame and things that you wish you could have done better. Or, or I know everybody, most people have the like, what was the end? Like, what was the last thing you said to someone? What was the last memory you have? And, and did you represent yourself in a way that... That if that's all they remembered when they died and not like the entire relationship before, those are all normal mm. too. Well, I think we should talk about why we feel so close to this idea of complicated relationships, um, specifically yeah. with our mothers. Are you going to go? Uh, yeah, I'll go there. Let's go there. Let's let's do. I mean, let's delve in. <laughs> yeah, let's go there. So my mom, when she got the cancer, one of the things that will haunt me, I hope not till the day I die, but has haunted me for the last several years is when my sister and I showed up at the hospital and that's, that's a whole thing of itself is when you haven't spoken to someone, your mother and her entire side of the family in five years. And then walking in to the ER and I was like, I'm here to see my mom. My name's Haley White. And they go, Oh, it's one of the daughters. And like, I was like, Oh great. My mom's already told the whole hospital. <laughs> She's like under not anesthesia, but she's like not even speaking and they all know. And then that same week, she asked the doctor in front of me um, and my sister if we caused the cancer, if, if her two daughters caused the cancer or if worrying about us because we weren't in her life is what caused the cancer. And of course, the doctor was very scientific and was like, that is patently impossible. But it sticks with you. And someone like me who really believes that energy and what you carry is scientific and is part of life you go to a certain extent am I partly responsible for her constant energy being negative in her brain or whatever yeah but why weren't you in her life yeah that's that's fair 
Are you going to answer that? <sighs> sure. Let's go there. <laughs> so the main thing that had happened, the final straw, I guess, was my sister when she came out of the closet. And by her coming out of the closet, I mean when I came out of the closet for her because she couldn't do it. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. I didn't know this. So my sister always jokes that I came out of the closet twice because I came out of the closet for her. And then when everyone in the family was talking about how it was probably just a phase and it's it's definitely, there's no way that it's something that's genetic or anything like that. I came out as bisexual again for her to make it easier for but her. But it was also true for you. Yeah, of course it was true, but I don't know that I ever would have for them at least. Um, just never talked about that side of my life mm. with them. So everything I do is for other people. <laughs> That's like, you know what I mean? Like I, I, w I don't know that I would have ever lifted that burden for myself. But before that, there had been other problems just in us feeling like she wanted us to be a certain way. And I think now that I'm older and now that she's gone, I think a lot of it came from her feeling like she had done a bunch of stuff wrong with her mom and having a bunch of guilt and shame and wanting so badly for us to be who she wished she had been for her mom and then us being as complete 180 from that as possible. So I just constantly felt like once I started making my own decisions, she was a great mom when we were kids. Nothing but good memories of that. But when we were older, it was like we were never what she wanted. I very much felt that we were never what she wanted. Very much was aware of the friends she had whose daughters were, mm. you know. And, and a lot of times that would manifest in screaming at us. A lot of times it would be ignoring us. A lot of times it would be calling us stupid or... Or, you know, the whole Christianity thing that becomes in, in, in just like telling us we're actually bad. And um, did that happen before you guys came out? Yeah. So so we I struggled. I We had very tumultuous teen years in that like we would have terrible times. And then also she was a fucking badass. They I think of like the mom and the Goldbergs who goes down to the high school and the principal's like terrified of her. That was my mom. Like anytime I needed a champion for certain things, she would be there in a heartbeat. She would fight anybody for hurting me or my sister. Then in other ways, she just wanted this very perfect image of what her family should be. Her daughters, her husband, all, you know, the unit and none of us fit into that. And it was just very hard for her to accept. And instead of ever getting to a place where she would accept it, she just was kind of terrible to us. And I've always been a very sensitive person. So, of course, when it's your mom doing that, you take it in a certain way. And mm. then I would often try to be the the like unconditional support for my sister. And I know in my mom's eyes, she thought she was unconditional or but. When she died, like a month or two before she died, we actually met with a therapist, me, my sister, and her. And, of course, my mom's losing her brain, so it's just, like, not the most reasonable time to expect it to work anyways. And she, I know, thinks, like, I loved you unconditionally. I love you. And I know that she loved me so much, and I know we'll get in a second to the end how, how she proved it finally before she died. But... um what we kept trying to tell her is there are conditions, <laughs> there are constant conditions on whether or not you like us or what you want us to be or, and, and not, not being happy for the things that we're happy about and that sort of thing. And not, you know, I think any person, no matter how much they love their child, if their child says, I am getting married to someone and you say, 
the best thing you can do for me is not invite me to that wedding because I so don't approve of who you've selected to love and to love you when they're a person who's not abusing you or anything like that. They just happen to be the same sex as you. That's not unconditional love. There's no way. Yeah. Period. Well, and when you said about how things that come from your mom feel very differently and are absorbed in an entirely different way than things that come from other people. Yeah. 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 I think that's very, that rung very true. Yeah. So just, just to wrap up why it gets complicated, why it's not just that you get to the other flip side of it at the end of her life. I was doing a lot of the caretaking and I don't mean, you know, if other people are listening to be like, well, she had hospice nurses and I was there too. I was not the only person taking care of her. It was a village. At the very end, there was a time and she would die (laughs) to know that I would tell this story. But at the end, I sort of had to help her sometimes with going to the bathroom or holding up or things like that. And that the very day before she went into her coma, I was like on kind of like on my knees holding her up so that she could actually sit on the toilet because otherwise she was like limping over her whole body was like kind of falling and she grabbed my face and said oh Haley you are too young for this and I saw in her eyes she chose I think she could have been around longer and I feel like she chose to let go for me so (laughs) I told you I would cry in the last episode And then you go, you can sit here and talk about her being awful and her not having unconditional love. And then to me, that moment was the most motherly thing she'd ever done in our entire relationship. And it's like the last thing I have of her. Yeah. Let's talk about your mom. Oh, I think there's enough in your (laughs) story to keep us busy for 50 minutes. (laughs) No. Mm. Yeah, I know. Turnabout's fair play. Um, Well, I think that, you know, Haley and I, we met through doing a show together. We were doing Hamlet, and she was Ophelia, and I was Hamlet. Hammy Boo Boo and (laughs) Ophie. Yes. And we bonded over a couple of things really quickly, thrift store shopping and really profoundly shitty relationships with our mom at that time. And I kind of went on and off with my mom kind of not being in my life because she was an alcoholic, and she certainly had some sort of untreated mental health issues. She would just rage and drink and rage and drink and it would like bring the whole household to a stop for a week while she raged and drank and raged and drank and it was difficult I would say the most difficult thing about growing up was just the uncertainty I never knew what I was going to walk into when I got home there was all of that and then there was um, my grandfather molested me on a single occasion, so in so many ways, it's not nearly as horrible as it is for so many people. But, and and my mom didn't, she believed me, which was good, but, you know, she believed me because he had bothered her, as they say. And I just was like, bitch, you left me alone with him? What? What is, and I was like in the sixth, seventh grade, and I was like, what do you, what, how is that? That's not, that's not a strong parenting choice. <laughs> I was so mad at her about it and she was always so like well it wasn't as bad as what he did to me so why are you upset and I feel like for a long time that was kind of at the bottom of that issue and of course her undiagnosed mental thing which who knows what it is 
yeah, so there was a a lot of very complicated things there. She really, again, never really approved of my choices. I just remember when I was getting my MFA, she used to always tell me about a teacher she was working with. You had mentioned something about like the replacement daughters. Mm-hmm. Like, so there was a teacher that she had been working with that she really loved that was her um, replacement daughter. And she was like, oh, well, so I don't even remember this woman's name. Thank you for allowing my mother to be in your life. She very much took a lot of joy from it, whoever you are. But she was always talking about, oh, well, so-and-so's getting their master's too. Bitch could have cared less that I got an MFA. She really was just annoyed. However, I got engaged to a man she didn't like, and I've never seen her be more excited. Just because she could say that you were getting married? Yes, it was so weird. It was the strangest. And there was a chunk of time I wasn't in communication with her because it was so painful, and it was always a giant fight. And my teenagers were rough. She said to me, you know how Mary Tudor said that, like, cut my heart open and you will see Calais written there? Everybody knows that. (laughs) All right, fair enough. But cut my heart open and you will see this phrase from my mother written there. I love you, but I really don't like you most of the time. Yeah. And she said things to me like, I know why you don't have friends. Just things yeah. that have stayed with me. That and, and it's like you said, like a mom can, someone else can say something like that and, and like, it's gone in an hour. Yeah, yeah. But a mom says it and it's written on your heart forever. Oh, forever. And a little bit that's not fair because all the time she told me that she thought I was pretty and smart right. and funny and talented. Yeah, I have no clear memory of those. I know they happened, but n- no clear memory of them. So we kind of worked, I, I got a lot of help therapy, and we kind of worked through some things. And by we worked through some things, I came to some levels of acceptance. And her liver was really bad, and she went away to a detox, and then she quickly relapsed, and she kind of never went back into the AA realm. I didn't know how bad it was for a long time until I would ask my dad about like what's going on and he would say stuff that didn't make sense to me and I was like okay listen next time you have a doctor's appointment I'm going with you and it just so happened that there's a acid that builds up in your body when your liver is shutting down and it makes you be kind of crazy and uh, like almost in like a weird coma-y state and she was in that state for the doctor's appointment Mm -hmm. and you're supposed to drink this gross stuff that she hated taking it because it gave her horrible diarrhea because it would cling to the acid and then flush out that way um and we went to the doctor that she was seeing about this and um the doctor was like you need to go immediately to the hospital and my dad's like oh can I wait until Monday and I was like dad denial uh, yes. And then the doctor was like, uh, no, I'm like, it wasn't until that doctor's appointment where he was like, oh, oh, no, she's she's dying. Do you think it caught both your parents off guard or do you think your mom kind of knew? Uh, my mom knew because she would say things to me. She would call drunk and she would say, like, you don't even know. There are things I'm not even telling you, and I'm not going to tell you. That's how much I love you. I don't want to worry you. And I'd be like, okay, mom, that's a good choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, mom, it was a good choice. Like you were drunk, but that was a strong, that was a solid choice because I was struggling. So I appreciate being kept in the dark until the very end. Passive aggressively and partially. Well, 
I mean, I let myself like I was like, okay. And from then it was just it was a pretty quick downhill. I will say, though, I got very lucky in a couple of things. My brother and his wife, his wife is a nurse and his my brother's mother-in-law is a nurse. So we got very, very lucky there. My brother was really so mature and like grieved maturely and was real clear about being sad and wanting her to live and being a little like the right amount of angry that she couldn't have chosen us you know what Mm -hmm. I mean and then also she lived long enough for a lot of peace to be made and I actually have a voicemail recording of her telling me that she loved me and she thought I was the best daughter ever it's really I was haunted by her voice messages for a while and again I've lost everything in my phone so maybe that's for the good thing but um there were a lot of messages of hi Haley um I'm really craving pizza wondering if you're coming tonight like lots of stuff that when you listen to all next to each other I was just like I was not there enough oh Haley you were there so much I know I mean cognitively sure but but when you hear 10 messages in a row that are like Haley just wondering I didn't see you yesterday are you here you know that break your heart yeah and not only that but um the thing that that also haunts me one of the other things is it's easier to say when she's dead but I always worry that near the end the work that we did those last couple years knowing that she knew I loved her at the end and that my sister and I were there every minute of that last week that she was in the coma, like to the point that I I still think my, I know actually my body still is in recovery from that, my hips and my weight and everything. But just worrying that even in the end, she wasn't sure that I liked her. Mm. And the thing that haunts me is she loved sleeping woman after my own heart (laughs) and her bed was like pimped out she had my sister and I both have heated blankets now from her which are things that we never would have even thought of before but I'll tell you what they're better than putting your actual heat on but she had like the best mattress she has these huge freaking just these covers that were like clouds she always had little matching pajama sets of course when with the brain loss like near the end like they would be on backwards and mismatch and inside out and with holes in them and stuff but she was still always so cute and she called it um going into her glow worm because she would look like a little glow worm like just Uh padded up never once until she was in the coma did I get in that bed with her and hold her never fucking once and I spent the night at that woman's house in her guest bedroom with my sister there, me on the couch so many times, never once. One of the things I have problems with from, you know, parental relations do this kind of thing to you is boundary issues. And she often, when I was younger, would like hold my hand and hug me in public and wait when I didn't want it. And so I get very resentful of her touch and I never let myself get the fuck over it. And like be like, she is scared. She is alone. She's single. You know, she is choosing. She and men loved her. She could have she could have had someone, but she ultimately chose herself, I think, in, in, in a good way. 
but I could have been there for her in that. And that is but something you, you that were, like comes up in cycles. All right, but you were there af- when she was in her coma. So ostensibly when she needed you the most. Yeah, yeah. I There are ways I talk myself through it and okay. then I get up out of it and it goes away and yeah. I don't think about it. And then there will be, you know, something. I, I got in a altercation with a friend last week and I've been sick over it all week. And there are times when you have that feeling as a single person, I'm generally 98% of the time totally good being a single person. And then every once in a while, you have those times where you're scared or lonely or sad, where it'd be nice to have someone around you. And I just think of all the nights in a row, I was right by her yeah, and couldn't get over my shit enough. I loved cuddling with my parents. Like we... You're a cuddler. I am a cuddler. But like as a family, we used to all pile in their king size bed and look at the papers together. And so not my family. She and I, I mean, she and I cuddled like even when things were kind of bad, you know, Um, and at the end there were a couple. She had a her bed in the living room for a little while. And so like there was some cuddling that like we would do there because it was the television and I just would rub her back, but there are times when I would give almost anything to To cuddle with my mom again, yeah, Yeah. because there's nothing that's ever going to feel that good again, yeah, in that way, in that like safe way, yeah. I mean, I love Prospero, but he's a really (laughs) bad big spoon, you know. Is that what you miss most? about her the cuddling yeah probably the hugs and like all the little domestic things you just fucking take for granted because society tells you they're not important when they're the most important my parents house being decorated for christmas uh it being clean it not looking like some sort of strange italian bordello like (laughs) i I mean you know what i'm saying like it uh, someone did go uh, someone to call i mean my dad's my dad's a pretty great dad i mean really (laughs) considering my level of good daughter like i I, he's a much better dad than i am a good daughter so like i really shouldn't complain at all Mm -hmm. but there are times when i just would really give anything for my sober mom yeah i miss my mom's voice which is funny because there were so many times when I didn't. Want <laughs> oh, to hear I know, her voice. right? Oh, I know, I know. I mean, and I have so I had so many angry voicemails on my birthday. I, uh, right out of graduate school, um, our good friend Heather and Ashley threw me a bridal shower on my birthday. They held it at Michael's house. It was lovely. To this day, one of my best birthday parties ever. Thank you to everyone who came. Um, and I had three messages from my mom of her just screaming at me and calling me selfish and mean and evil for not going down to Visalia on my birthday what like hor- she said horrible things to me I were you did you struggle with anger at your mom so much so much anger right well, and that's part of, at, so all the emotions, all the complicated emotions, I really think, so we started this as complicated relationships, but I think grief is complicated and the emotions that come with uh, grieving 
are complicated. Unless you have this person that you just go, I'm going to remember them as a saint. I'm going to miss them and be sad and that's it. Most people, I think you go through all of these other things. And yeah, i mad at her while she was alive. And there was anger there too. That's what's crazy is grief helps you realize you can be operating on all these different levels oh. that are completely contradictory at the same time. I remember and an, be normal. I still feel guilty for missing her. Like like, like I don't, don't ha- have the right. Like I don't have the right to miss her because she and I weren't that close. Like we weren't enemies at the end. Like we were growing up and in my 20s and huge part of my 30s. Okay. So but uh, like but, how does she get to affect your life so much? No, I just feel like a hypocrite. Mm. Like I feel embarrassed to be sad I don't have my mom when it's not like my mom I have a friend who lost her mom she's like how do I go on like how do I move forward without the woman I talk to every day about my life and I'm like oh my god I don't even know because please believe I did not talk to my mom that much Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying so then I feel guilty like how dare I even miss my mom when I called her like once a week a month and that's when things were good yeah, I, I think that's natural. I feel that, too. Like, her death has been so life-altering for me that why is it someone like her versus, like, someone like my grandpa who died, like, a year or two before her when she had just got sick, so I didn't even really notice his death. Mm. And he was one of my top five favorite people on the planet. Mm. Loved him the most you know what I mean he was so funny and he loved me so much and hardly even sometimes I like go to my grandma's house and like expect to see him around the corner you know what I mean but then my mom is the one that is like the definitive yeah gets me on a podcast about grief yeah I mean I don't think I'm being clear though I feel like I'm okay because this is something else I got from my parents oh you're being overdramatic my mother used to call me Sarah Bernhardt when I was struggling and being dramatic, quote unquote. I feel like sometimes when I miss her, I I can hear her say, all right, Sarah Bernhardt, why did you be overdramatic? You barely even called me. And I just automatically feel like shame for feeling the correct motion, emotion, which is missing her. Right. And have very little shame about feeling the socially unacceptable emotion of like, well, bitch, first of all, don't leave your daughter alone with the guy who molested you, and maybe she won't be mad at you her entire teen years. Also, love your son at least enough to stop drinking. Well, I think that, that emotion is wrapped up in all the other emotions. It's And it reminds me to come back to, I heard you earlier when you were telling your story about being molested by your grandfather, feeling the need to apologize to other listeners who may have had it worse, to like... To make that clarification, I think, is very interesting and very, it's very, what I'm saying, human and natural to feel like your, your point of view isn't worthy in comparison to other people. But the thing about grief, the thing about actually all life, you should not be comparing your anything. If you don't compare your grief to your friend who saw her mom every day and was best friends with her and had a perfect relationship. If you're not making that comparison, if you're just saying in this moment, I miss my mom period. 
in a statement, you're fine. It's when you start doing that and all those shoulds get involved and, and should I and, and do I deserve to and and that when you get off track and then start thinking that you're not allowed to miss your mom, which yeah. is she's your fucking mom. Of course you're allowed to miss her, no matter how it what was. it was. Yeah. N- yeah, no matter how Yeah. It it is complicated. You're a hundred percent right. And it's funny too that I would make that because all I heard from her at a certain point was like, I don't know why you're so upset. It was so much worse for me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how I heard her say that. And I bet you that's not what she was saying. She literally said that. She said she literally said she that. She literally said what he did to me was so much worse. Oh, your mom. Yeah, I'm not talking about your mom. Oh. I thought you were talking about your friend was saying like, oh, I miss no, my no, mom. No, 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 no. My mom said to that, me. Well, that's yeah. crazy. But how did I hear that and not think and, and not have like that record scratch moment of being like, oh, I'm sorry. The fuck? What? Like, I would say that the discovery of the full trauma of my mother's and to a large extent my father's childhood, I, I wish I had been able to understand it earlier because the doors that is open in my heart are are so valuable to me. Yeah. Because I just think to myself like, well, fuck. I, I, she got through all that? Well, one of the great things about recognizing other people's hurt is A, recognizing that other people hurt in the first place. But mo- most importantly, I think what it does is you it helps people who think everything's about them realize it's not so much. And if we could do that across the board, just imagine how much less stress and anxious you would be thinking that people hate you or think that you're not worthy or think that Wait, though, you I have, have a rights. really serious question right now. What? Are you saying that there are things in the world not about me? <laughs> I hate to break it. No, that's very disturbing. Uh, 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 yes, that empathy, though. Like, remember when we talked about how it's like being part of, like, the worst club, club ever? Yeah. And and did, did this make it into the second podcast where I talked about being back at work, like, three weeks after my mom had died? And I was at this fancy restaurant that is not my style of restaurant. All of the people are not socialists. And I had this moment where I was looking around at all these old whites who are my least favorite type of human, the old white man, and thinking to myself, all (laughs) these old white men have had their hearts cracked open like that, I bet. I bet you all of them have been cracked open and left with this whole, this like hard nugget of sadness and, and told to move the fuck on. And told to move on and, and have tried to figure out a way to do it. But I have that profound thing in common with them. That important thing in common with them is that we both have these like nuggets of pain that we've, we're figuring out how to live through. And, and I got to say that realization is like one of the closest to like that connectedness that I have ever felt not on stage. Yeah. But also it makes me horrifically socially awkward because I ran into our good friend. I like brought up his mom and I was like, 
Because I remember after my mom died, all I wanted to do was talk about how I was feeling and what it was like and what was happening. And not everybody wants to do that. No, no, not everybody does. And then I was like, listen, dude, I'm so sorry. I just feel like we're in this club together now. And he's like, girl, we are. I make the mistake of thinking sometimes I mean peripherally I I know that everybody grieves differently but a lot of times I think this is so helpful to me everybody else should want to do this and then you get to people other people don't want to talk about it they they might want to hear about it like that's why something like this might be useful for people who don't necessarily want to say the words out loud themselves they might want to hear other people say the words and go go nod internally you know what I mean so just really quickly I wanted to talk about how very lucky I was when there's there's lots we can cover eventually about like things you should plan out ahead of time if especially if someone's dying of a long-term illness and Mm. you know and have advanced warning especially when you think that you've done all that work because I think my mom very much thought she had all her ducks in a row and we did too and so we didn't like broach those subjects because we're like there is a will there is Mm -hmm, all this mm -hmm. stuff and then there were so many questions we didn't know the answer to My sister and I were so lucky in that my mom's wishes were her brother was going to handle all the estate in terms of like paperwork and stuff because he's an adult man with money and and she trusts him. And she knew that we were the benefactors and that he would be fair. And he was just he did everything the way she asked. And then all the little decision making with my sister and I, there were only like one or two little things that we disagreed with. And we're very close and we don't like fighting but it didn't matter the the stuff that I was like oh no I want this and she's like Haley it doesn't matter I need people to tell me that a lot it didn't yeah. and and three years out I don't remember and I'm it's yeah, no. totally fine with there are people who that's a whole other stress for when someone dies oh my god I just can't I can't tell you the number of times I was so thankful that this was not what's going to happen when my dad dies because all the laws made sense. He was on the joint bank account for everything. Like it, you know, it just, it was all already his because they had just owned everything jointly. But, um, having worked a little bit in the capitalist world, I got to say it is often a nightmare and it is often so painfully contentious. Yeah. I think that, I mean, I don't know that we've covered the subject, but... We've talked for a while. I think we've talked ourselves out. Yes. So I, I, I just think the end is to, to reiterate that any emotion you're feeling, even if it seems wrong to be having, is normal. And probably somebody has had it before you, so you're not a freak. Yeah. And this has been really lovely and cathartic for me. So thank Same. you, Haley, for inviting me to do this with you thank you for making me go there um also thank you Lindsay, for being our single listener lies (laughs) people i need you to defend me on facebook because (laughs) this one doesn't believe all right we'll see you next time all right bye is it a wall is it a well is it a building or a bridge sometimes it's hard for me to tell what fucking structure you